You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning from 7.45 AM. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. Okay, so it's been a pretty eventful couple of months when it comes to the anti-doping sphere with WADA finally getting their hands on that data from the now infamous anti-doping lab in Moscow. So as we understand, WADA are currently working on the information retrieved and Russia, for the time being, have avoided any further sanctions. And that's currently the state of play at the moment in that particular story. And the CEO of USADA, Travis Tigard, has been particularly vocal on the subject and I'm delighted to welcome him to the show this morning. Good morning to you, Travis. How are things? Hey, things are good, Owen. Thanks for having us. Not at all. So you said around uh, a month ago uh, that WADA were being played by the Russians, and you said confidence in WADA has never been lower. I presume nothing has changed over the last month to change that stance. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, you know, listen, I, I think it's 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 a good step. We've gotten something out of the, the Russian lab. You know, it was past the deadline, and again, WADA, you know, uh, let, let up on its obligation to enforce the rules as it, as it otherwise should have. You know, the second, third, fourth time. But but we got something. Now, look, we don't know what we've got. Is it authentic? Is it genuine? Is it actually the evidence that, you know, originally was about 9,000 presumptive positive samples related to 4,500 athletes? So so now they're in the process of, of, of verifying that, seeing what evidence is there, and then ultimately going to have to decide on individual cases that should be brought. And, and we'll see how that ultimately plays out. And, and then also keep in mind, there's still several thousand from what has been previously reported samples. So the actual urine that is still there that could be retested of some of these athletes is still in the laboratory. Um, you know, the RUSADA, uh, the Russian anti-doping agency head said that's going to be difficult to turn over. Um, and that deadline is coming up here pretty soon in, in the next several months this summer, actually. So so we'll see what ultimately happens and, and hopefully cases will be brought and the truth will be ultimately revealed and sanctions where they should be put in place will, will ultimately be put in place. You say hopefully. How confident are you in WADA to actually execute it? You know, listen, I think that the IOC really since day one has wanted to put this in the rearview mirror. It's, it's bad for business when a superpower cheats at the level that we now know Russia cheated at. And that's been verified in report after report after report, after report. And, and the IOC controls WADA to a large extent. And, and, and really going back since the first uh, media exposure of this state-sponsored doping in December of 2014, the IOC and WADA have been trying to put this in the rearview mirror. Um, so, so we're overly skeptical, as we should be, because we've seen the action, which is to say one thing publicly, severest of all consequences will be put in place. Mm. If you remember, the IOC said, if these allegations turn out to be true, it's an unprecedented level of criminality and attack on the Olympic Games. And, and certainly it is. Can you imagine um, bidding, winning the bid, hosting the Olympic Games on your territory, on your soil, and then using your military and your intelligence divisions to tap into the collection kits, the Berlinger bottle, which are not, you know, unfortunately have, have shown to be not tamper uh, proof, pour out dirty urine, replace it with clean urine, seal the caps, have it go through the laboratory, report it as it was reported. Mm. Um, ultimately go from a seventh place finish the Russians did in the Vancouver Winter Olympic Games to first place on their home soil in Sochi. Now we, we realize why, because they cheated their way to the top 
that's been exposed, that's been proven, and, and yet we're still here many years later trying to find uh, you know, an appropriate consequence, an appropriate reform and justice for those athletes who have been robbed by it. Yeah, it, like, it's, it's simply un, uh, unacceptable. Like, do, you, do you think then, taking that to its final conclusion, that there should be some sort of separation between WADA and IOC explored over the next couple of years and perhaps the role of Sir Craig Reedy himself might be under threat? You know, our, our, we, we've been, you mentioned it in the introduction, you know, vocal um, when asked for one reason. Our athletes and athletes around the world have come to us and have said, Travis, USADA, we're happy to be held to the highest standard. You come, other countries in Ireland, they go to their athletes' homes, their training centers, they, you know, can't, they're, they're worried about what meat they can eat. They're worried about what supplements they can take. If they fail to file their whereabouts form on any given day and aren't at home on the hour that they say they're going to be at home for out of competition, no advance notice testing, athletes can get the severest of all sanctions. They can, they can lose their opportunity to compete, make a living, um, represent their country at the highest levels. On, really on one, you know, strike, they're fine holding themselves to that standard because they want to be seen as real live champions and people that we can actually honor as real heroes. Mm. The problem is when they show up at international competitions like they did at the Sochi Winter Olympic Games, like they did at the London 2012 Olympic Games, like they have in world championships for many years and get robbed by countries who aren't playing by the very rules that they're playing and being held to, that's when the whole system falls apart. Sure. So we've had, we've had two mandates from our athletes. Number one, justice. Any individual who was robbed by state-sponsored doping ought to be made whole. Their medals ought to be reallocated. And, and we ought to do everything to celebrate their victories, not the cheaters who won in those cases. And that takes evidence. And that takes a legal process to get to that determination. The second, and to your, your question, absolutely reform has been on, our, on the forefront. We have to reform the World Anti-Doping Agency to make it not a ser- service provider to the International Olympic Committee, but a global watchdog that is free of the political influence when it comes time to enforcing the rules. The rule enforcer has to be sacrosanct. It can't be influenced by political decisions or an interest in the outcome of how those rules are enforced. And that's what we've been talking about really since December 2014 when this first arose. And our athletes, as well as our sports federations, came to us and said, what are we going to do about this? Hmm. Hey, Travis, you've had a, a very interesting career in terms of dealing with cheaters and chasing up cheaters. And you talk about the cheaters here in the current situation that when they potentially reach justice, I often wonder what you would do in that situation. Would you be open to the idea of cheaters coming on board to try and help the quest for clean sport a little bit more? Because after all, they have been inside the camp of one of the most high-powered state-sponsored doping regimes, allegedly, that we've ever seen. They know a thing or two on how to cheat. They could be of help, surely. Without question, and, and our our approach, um, you know, the the U.S. Sur- Postal Services case, our cycling investigation here in the U.S. Mm. that that was the exact strategy we used from an investigative standpoint was to give every athlete and and make no mistake, we gave even Lance Armstrong the opportunity to come in to sit down to be truthful because the athletes themselves, to some extent, 
are being abused. Can you imagine being an athlete in Russia and to some extent in the in the Peloton in the late 90s where the rules were you had to cheat to be effective and that the those in the system, the, the team doctors, the coaches, um, the sport organizations, they turned a blind eye to it. That's not much of a choice for athletes. We saw that in our cycling investigation T today with the Russia situation. Look, it's a state. They're using these athletes and abusing these athletes by requiring them to take these drugs in order to represent their country and go from a seventh place finish in 2010 to a first place finish in, in, in Sochi. That's all for that national pride and that national power. So, so they're just being you know, abused as well. So absolutely, we were willing to give, in our case, and would in this one, an opportunity for those on, in the trenches who are being preyed upon by others to, to come forward, be truthful, Give us whatever evidence you have and let's clean up this system so that we know athletes in the future aren't going to be subjected to the kind of abuse or lack of choice that we saw in cycling, for example, and that clean athletes actually can have an opportunity to compete and win the right way. Sure. And like the, the U.S. Postal example is a fantastic one because I guess from your standpoint now, you can tell us what actually happens after we find out who the bad guys are and after we find out what sort of justice can be meted out. Like, let's take Lance Armstrong, for example. And obviously, there's a fascination around it, but there's a practicality to talking about this in this context as well, Travis, as you'll appreciate. So could I just ask first up, when was the last time you spoke to Lance Armstrong? Oh, it's been, I don't know, a few um Probably, probably a few months, you know, maybe back March, April time period, if I, if memory serves me. Right. And what was the nature of the discussion? Was it to do with the idea of him perhaps helping out with the, the fight for clean sport or was it a catch up or, or, or what, what was the nature? Yeah, it was just, you know, just just about what the, 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 the terms of the sanction, what it what it means, what events he may or may not be able to, to compete against or be a part of. Um, and, and look, we're we're always hopeful that whether it's him or anyone else who's been, you know, caught and sanctioned, that they come forward and are truthful and, and try to right their wrongs and, you know, apologize to the people that they've harmed in the way and do everything within their authority going forward to, you know, not continue to make excuses, but accept responsibility and understand the rules are the rules and ought to be applied fairly and evenly, but, yeah. but try to help the system moving forward in, in any way that they possibly can and, and truly be sorry for you know, not just being caught and sanctioned, but but sorry for the the action and, and and try to make the system better so that athletes today actually have a choice, not just to join the dopers, even if they think the entire culture is doping, but to do what takes a little courage hmm. at the time and and some bravery. And you look at Yulia uh, Stepanov and Vitaly Stepanov. You know, that's what they did. They do you think Lance Armstrong has that same potential? Yeah, I, I think every, I think every athlete that's ever you know gone through um, that situation has that same potential. Now that may not mean there's a reduction in sanction. You know that opportunity was given back in the summer of 2012 and several months after that as well. But um, so that's a different question. But but certainly in the eyes of you know forgiveness and redemption and being accepted back into the sporting community, not necessarily competing because the sanction is the sanction. Um, you know, we, we wish the best for, for every athlete that finds themselves in that situation. And we always encourage athletes to, you know, take responsibility, try to right the wrongs that were committed and, and move forward in a productive way so that clean athletes of this generation and future generations can, 
you know, have have real choice yeah. uh, when it comes time to competing the right way. But it must be a tricky one, though, when you think about it. I'm sure you've thought about it quite a lot. If Lance Armstrong came to you in the morning and says, listen, Travis, I want to help out with the fight for clean sport. Do you believe him? I mean, Betsy Andreu described him as a remorseless, pathological liar. Look, I, I think there's a, a long way from, um, you know, being able to embrace um, given where it's at and, and, and it will take a lot, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm overly hopeful, you know, that everyone that finds themselves in that situation can, can, can come to terms with the, with what's occurred, um, and, and try to move forward for the good. I, I see the, the good in everyone and look, I would like nothing better than, um, you know, an athlete, whether it's Lance Armstrong or any other that's been caught, um, doping and cheating at the levels that they were to, to, to come forward and, and actually, you know, try to right the wrongs in a real way and, and move forward that's productive for not only themselves, I think. Um, that's not my call, but I certainly see it that way, but, but for the sport in general. When you look back on your work, particularly in the U.S. Postal case, do you think that there was a certain aggression there, a robust nature to your investigation that probably was required at the time? No, look, we just, we just did our job. <laughs> you know, we, we took an oath to apply the facts um, to the rules to search for the truth. And, and that's absolutely what we did in that case. And it's what we do and had done prior to that, you know, whether it was Balco, Dylan, Marion Jones, or mm. Tim Montgomery, or, you know, some, some of the global icons who cheated made the unfortunate decision to, to break the rules at that time. I mean, that's our job, right. Is to sure. pursue the evidence, to exonerate the innocent, just as, as hard as we do to convict the guilty. And, and look, th- this case, once the floodgates opened um, and the first few witnesses came forward, you know, the, the truth was overwhelming. And it, you know, frankly, you know, was was like a tidal wave of truth. And and we simply applied that those facts to, to the rules and came out where we did and and made, you know, mistake. As I mentioned earlier, we gave, you know, Armstrong the opportunity to come in and, 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 and face the truth also and be part of the opportunity to clean up. The peloton and, and i think there was a missed opportunity there for the effort quite frankly while a lot of good i think came from the investigation the circ was established a new president um came in on a clean sport platform the independent cycling foundation to separate the fox guard and the hen house was set up um mm-hmm. you know a lot more could have happened i think earlier in the event that, that armstrong would have chosen to to take our offer and come in and and be part of the solution. And of course, I'm, I'm sorry that he didn't do that. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm, I'm sure it was a particularly difficult situation. It's just really interesting when you read about some of the other writers. And you, you talk about the flood of information. I think like we'd all uh, agree that Floyd Landis and his admissions were one of those moments that created this this flood moment. And it, it's really interesting reading some of Floyd Landis, like speaking uh, to Paul Kimmage last year. Um, like he, he says, uh, he still resents USADA for some of the things that they did. He, he talks about uh, the 2006 and the A sample and the B sample. And he's, he talks about this B sample, which was negative at the UCLA lab, and they just re- retroactively changed the positive criteria. You can't do that. And that just made me want to fight more. In hindsight, I should have stepped back and said, this isn't really worth it because I'm effed anyway, but I had to fight. It kept me alive. Is that true, Travis? Listen, I mean, he fought. There's no doubt about that. But but no, look, the, he had an 11 to 1 TE ratio and a positive CIR that would have been positive, um, you, you know, was was positive in that that laboratory as was eleven to one. So, so there was no retroactive think, changing of the criteria. No, no. Okay, and and, and all of that's that, not the truth. Yeah, you 
yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what he's referring to there, but what I can tell you is there was <laughs> two separate hearings. I think the first hearing was about 11 days, you know, dozens of witnesses, laboratory, legal experts, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the lengthiest live hearing in front of independent judges that we've ever had. It was all streamed on the internet. Media was present during the room, which is totally fine. And, and we welcomed that because it was an opportunity to let the truth be known. Um, they then, and they, and that, you know, found him to have committed the violation. They then appealed that decision. But look, what what's unfortunate is, again, a lot more good could have been done is when the positive test and the doping was first revealed, if, if he would have come forward. And, and look, I understand that he's upset and resentful. You know, when you get caught doing something and are held accountable, yeah, you, it's not, it's not, you know, a pleasant day necessarily. You lose a lot, but yeah. let's let's make no mistake. That comes back to the decision that those athletes make to begin with to cheat sport. And they went and and let's you know the the peloton went to great lengths at that time, particularly the postal services, to use drugs, blood transfusions, um, a sophisticated network to avoid testing to ensure they tested negative at every turn. Um, so it's a little hard now to say, well, I shouldn't be held accountable when they knew it was against the rules. They, they took a lot of time, a lot of effort and a lot of money um, to try to break the rules. And, and then the, they got caught. I mean, it's it's really as simple as that, I think. Yeah. So like, time, like I'm not I'm not I'm not justifying at all what Ferdinand uh, said. I mean, like he, he is ultimately a cheater. It's just very interesting. I find looking at the idea that he was broke and he he wanted to fight this and he, he like makes the point that you guys weren't even trying to catch people for the things that we were doing he says so I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight like nobody has ever fought uh, he says he wasn't suicidal but he didn't really care if he lived I mean he went to extraordinary lengths because he felt that USADA had shifted the goalpost dramatically to try and catch him out and do you know what Travis maybe that is the way to go maybe that is how you, you catch cheaters I'm not sure because the anti-doping process sometimes kind of falls through some of these loopholes yeah, listen, I, I you know, I, I, I haven't read what you're referring to that Floyd said. What I can tell you is our job was nothing more ever than a search for the truth. And, you know, I, I would encourage every athlete, if they find themselves in that situation, you know, don't don't lie and don't, you know, deny. But and, and you know, go on a, a public tour, raising money from folks supporting what you know to be a lie and not the truth. But sit down. And if you think there's a place where the goalposts are being moved, we can talk through that and show you that that's not the case. We, we have no interest in that. Our, our job is to simply what are the rules and are we going to enforce the rules to protect clean athletes? Um, and, 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 and that's the decision I would hope any athlete that ultimately does cheat, that gets caught, would come in and, and sit down and do that. But, but frankly, I would hope athletes stand up before they decide to cheat. And, sure. and that takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery. Few athletes have done it. We saw Yulia Stepanov do it. Um, and that's what I would encourage athletes, you know, back during the, the dark days of the Peloton, as well as any athlete today that might find themselves in that situation. There, there are organizations out there and, and, and we're not perfect. No doubt about that. We're striving every day to be the best we possibly can be. But we're, we're, we're pushing hard to give athletes an independent opportunity when they're confronted with a dangerous situation, whether it's doping or otherwise, to come forward and, and, and have someone that supports them 
get yeah. to the bottom of it and protect their right to equal play and fair play. Of course. Like, do you think cycling is a much cleaner sport than it was during the US postal days? Because uh, it seems that, like, I, I don't know what, what Floyd or Lance are thinking, but I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, well, cycling is just as dirty now as it was back then, and we were the guys who got caught, and we got caught spectacularly. Yeah, look, I, I think it's I, I think system changes have happened, right? I mean, I mentioned the new president, the Independent Cycling Foundation, the CERC. You know, we pushed the CERC to have um, complete amnesty for athletes that came in. You know, was the entire dirty peloton at that time exposed and held accountable? I don't, I don't, no, nobody thinks so. Is the peloton I mean, just as dirty now, uh, in your view? No, listen, I, I think I think the bias has changed because of those system changes because of the deterrent value that's been shown through organizations willing to enforce the rules no matter so how it, big it is cleaner you think I, I think the bias has absolutely changed okay in favor of clean athletes i think you can i think you can win today now does that mean it's athletes aren't trying to gain an advantage absolutely not i mean i think that's human nature that's the difficulty of the fight we're in but i, I think athletes now know that they can win the right way and that if they see a peloton that's becoming dirty, they have outlets to go to to ensure that their right to compete clean is being upheld. Why, why has that happened? Why is it easier for a clean athlete to win now? Do you think that your investigation has such a lasting impact in the peloton that attitudes have changed? Because to me, it seems the incentive is still there, that there still isn't a huge amount of proof that testing is actually working. And therefore, if there's a chance you might get away with it, you're probably going to do it at, at those high stakes, no? Well, you should you should look at the evidence from our reason to decision um, that was published in 2012. And you can see the affidavits by all the writers and, and even Armstrong's own um, Oprah interview. He acknowledged that the athlete biological passport that was implemented for UCI pro peloton athletes wasn't Im- implemented to about 2007, 2008, if memory serves me. But once that was put in place, so the testing once independent organizations came in, NATOs like us, like others around the world, to a certain extent, the World Anti-Doping Agency, we've talked about some of their you know, challenges at this moment. But, but make no mistake, since the dark days of the Peloton in the late 90s, when UCI was running it under their rules, it's an entirely different situation. And the likelihood of, of winning clean, I think, as high as it's ever been. The tests are way better than they've ever been. And even in the rider's own admission, um, the athlete biological passport has created an environment where, you know, the hardcore game-changing doping of the past, the blood transfusions that a few athletes at the time had access to, as the evidence in the Bruneo recent decision will show you, mm. um, is, is, I think, is, I think is, is, is gone. Now, yeah, the, we've got to be vigilant to, to maintain it, um, but I think the, the system... The, the culture has shifted dramatically since since those days. But the, and, the, the and in Brunel, part because the, you have independent groups who are committed to to fixing it and not sort of the fox guard in the hen house. I mean, remember Armstrong had a positive test in 1999. Um, the whole thing could have stopped then, but the UCI found an excuse for him to, sure. to walk around it. 
Like that, that, that was that, like obviously that was a, a pretty spectacular failing on the, on the sports part at the time. Like the, the Brunel one, I'm glad you brought it up. It's a really interesting one because, uh, especially what you said afterwards, you said it's a, another powerful example that playing by the rules matters and doping is never justified and always inexcusable. Which is why, personally, I have the, this uh, this cynicism about the Tour de France because of the former dopers that are still riding in the Tour and because of the former dopers that are still involved in teams and team management and things like that. Should they not all just be gotten rid of if they really wanted to change the 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 view and uh, the, the the culture in the Tour de France, perhaps. Look, we, it, it goes back to what I said earlier about the the day of disappointment when Armstrong, instead of coming in and sitting down and and using his influence within the sport to help set it on an entirely new platform, you know, decided to to contest and sue and all that sort of stuff, try to take us down. Um, I, I think, yeah, we we pushed not only through our investigation, but then also in our interactions with the CERC, the Cycling Independent um, you know, investigation, to, to give the riders immunity, amnesty, if you want to call it that, so that they all can come in and we can clean out the system, the doctors, the t- team directors, the team owners, anyone in the sport who, who knew or was complicit in allowing this culture to exist. Because if we didn't dismantle the system, just athletes would continue to come into it and the culture, the system would put a lot of pressure would, for them to dope, would turn a blind eye when they did dope, like mm. we saw in 99 with the Armstrong positive test. And, and so that was always our goal. And, and look, I don't that that wasn't achieved um, in the in the fullest for reasons beyond our control. Unfortunately, we would have loved for that to absolutely have happened. Does that mean it's like it was in the 90s? I, I think I think not. Does yeah. it mean we have to continue to give clean athletes support? and a system that is going to have their back, absolutely. It's too important to, to go the other way. I, I get that, and I get the idea that you know people who've cheated in the past are, are often very valuable commodities, and it just kind of brings me on. When I saw that you said that uh, doping is never justified and always inexcusable, it just immediately uh, triggered with me the, the current case, which is quite close to home for you at the moment, which is with the UFC and with John Jones, who, of course, tested positive for two banned substances in 2016, and then we have the Turinabal finding from 2017, which has obviously flared up over the last month. He's a guy who's tested positive for banned substances, and he's fighting in a sport where he can do serious damage to your opponent how do you tally that with your own idea that doping is never justified and always inexcusable yeah look it's it's you have to look at each individual case um and and let me be real clear on the quote look people in systems try to say and justify their doping by the everyone was doing it and that made it okay and and that's the point with the site the bruniel case and the cycling cases stand up have the courage to say you know what? It's against the rules. Hmm. It's not okay. It's not justified. I think we all, as you know, people can can attempt to justify whatever we do when it comes time to decision making. But the rules are the rules. Play by the rules, even if it means you might have to leave the sport. You might have to leave the sport. Hopefully, that's not the answer. Because look, there are independent organizations here today that that have your back. That are all going to enforce fairly enforce the rules and and ensure that you're right to compete clean. It is upheld. So to John Jones, listen, that's exactly what happened. He he got a 15 month suspension through the arbitration panel for um, an inadvertent um, doping violation. There was no intentional cheating. How, how did we actually come to that conclusion, Travis? Because, like, obviously Richard McLaren was involved and says that there was no intentional ingestion of Turinabal. Like, for a guy who's previously served a doping violation, to give him the benefit of the doubt there seems really strange. 
Well, you have to look at the evidence. Like, it's not what you feel or what you think. Look at the evidence. But where's the evidence, the evidence that he that he, he he took it non-deliberately? Like, I, obviously, there's no evidence to suggest he took it deliberately. But if I'm looking at a guy who's previously served the doping suspension, I'm not really giving that guy the benefit of the doubt that he took it accidentally. Listen, nobody nobody gave any athlete any benefit of the doubt other than what the facts and the evidence shows. And and the evidence was clear, and all the scientific um, opinion that was presented to the independent arbitrator was clear that there was no intent to dope because if you look at the negative tests where there was no M3, which is not parent drug, which is not the M1 drug, not the M2 metabolite, only the M3, it was at a minuscule level shortly after negative tests and then negative tests um, before the, the small finding. So the, the evidence, the scientific But it's still evidence, a positive test. The, but but that's, that wasn't the question you asked me. The question you asked me was, how can you say it wasn't intentional? And yes, it was, it was an adverse analytical finding. It was reported. Mm. And it went through the results process. But we do an individual analysis in every case. Was it an intentional cheating? And if it was, they would have gotten the full maximum sanction, just as we've applied in every other case. But look, we had a 90-year-old cyclist test positive for minuscule trace amounts of of a of a of a, uh, a drug that can come in meat. Yeah, and he got and a ban. We investigated it. We investigated it and came out with he got a, a a public warning. So so Jones got 15 months because the evidence, the negative test before, the negative test immediately after, showed that there was no way he took an intentional dose to enhance his performance because the test result would have been much higher than the test result that was bookended by a negative and a positive test. So look, we're, we're here to fairly enforce the rules, but we're not going to hang a guy up just because of a contamination or an inadvertent positive, um, just like in the meat contamination case. Just look, we, we announced um, a, a water contamination case. We announced a medication uh, contaminated case. That's how a fair system operates. Like we're going to, we're going to throw the book where we have authority at intentional cheats, but we're also going to be fair and just to people who have positive tests mm. that aren't indicative and demonstrate that they weren't um, intentionally cheating. Yeah. I, I like, think that's the essence of a fair system. Sure. Like to be fair, there was a negative test regarding Jones on December 29th from USADA, but oddly on the very same day he was tested by VADA and he came up positive. How can you be confident in the testing system when he was tested on the same night and one test shows up as negative, one test shows up as positive from two different organizations? So, yeah, so he, he tested positive um, the day before and then a negative that day because of his specific gravity, which is the amount of water that's in your system. At these really, 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 really low levels, specific gravity can affect the lab's ability to see these trace amounts or not. And, and I think the test you're referring to, I don't have the dates in front of me, but I think the test you're referring to was the, the weigh-in date where he had lost significant, significant amount of, of water weight and, and the drug was there again at these really low picogram levels. Um, and then the next day when we tested him before the fight, he had obviously you know put weight back on and put had, had drunk a lot of water and so it wasn't in there. And that, you know, if you, if you follow the case and looked at the evidence, um, is clearly consistent with the scientific determination 
um, of why one on that day was was positive um, at that low level and then negative the next day. Sure. Like, it is an interesting philosophical one, and I think why we get so exercised about it is because it is combat sports. You can do severe damage to your opponent, and you look at some of the other combat sports, and the Canelo Alvarez situation, I know it's not you guys, it was Vada uh, who tested Canelo, Canelo Alvarez and due to that Ken Buterol finding uh, a couple of months ago and for that ban. But then you look at the USADA one over Eric Morales in 2012, being allowed to fight despite testing positive beforehand. I guess just my question to you, Travis, is if you think you fail a test once as a combat sports uh, com- competitor... Do you think you should be allowed back into the ring or the octagon once again, given the inherent dangers? Yeah, look, I, if you intentionally cheat and a positive test demonstrates that, you ought to you ought to be thrown out. And and athletes in certain sports, you know, push for for you know lifetime bans on on one offense. Um, that said, if you don't intentionally cheat, but you have a positive test and there's no performance benefit that's been given. I don't think you should be thrown out of the sport for uh, all, really any period of time. I mean, eating a piece of meat that is contaminated with a drug at such a low level that it had no impact on your performance. Should, is, is it fair? You would be asking me, is it fair to keep them out of sport? And I, and I, and I would agree that it's not fair. You know, having uh, the Therese Johag case, for example, out of Norway, uh, or, uh, uh, you know, a skier who used a lip balm, that contained a really, really low level of prohibited substance, caused her to have a positive test, but she was out of competition, had no impact on her performance. She she got a 16-month suspension and lost her opportunity to go to the Winter Olympic Games. Mm. Is that a right outcome? Look, I, I don't think it is. I don't think that's a fair system. So to answer your question, if you intentionally cheat, you ought to be thrown out of the sport. But if you have a positive test that is not intentional cheating and gave you no performance enhancement, because water or a supplement or meat or a lip balm caused it, I, I don't think you should get any suspension. You don't think combat sports should be held to a higher standard? Look, I think all, I, I, for sure combat and you know every sport within the Olympic movement should be hot, held to the highest standard. But again, no performance enhancement benefit. There's no health or safety issue. The positive test is, is not from anything that you intentionally did to try to gain a performance advantage. Look, I think I think the system is that that hammers 16 months for a Teresa Yohog for a lip balm is not a fair system. You know, someone that eats meat, right, served in a restaurant that has a positive test that receives a sanction. I don't think that's a, a, a really fair system, whether you're in a combat sport or not. Sure. Uh, we, we are speaking to you today, Travis, just uh, the morning after the Super Bowl. And I know USADA doesn't look after uh, the NFL. They look after their own testing. And I'm, I'm sure your eyebrows would have been raised last night uh, seeing the MVP, Julian Edelman, picking up his uh, MVP title. Of course, he served uh, a four-game ban at the start of the season for performance-enhancing drugs. What's your take on that? Yeah, look, I, I, don't, I don't know the facts of the case. I mean, our, we, we've all often said, you know, all sport ought to be independent and you ought to be able to see the arbitrator's decision mm. of exactly what was behind that. You know, four, ban, four game ban, uh, you know, we've been very vocal. It's not, um, you know, uh, the, the kind of deterrent that you would want. This case may be exhibit A, that it's sure. not the kind of deterrent that you want. Um, and there ought to be, you know, penalties in place that provide for the type of offense, given what we just talked about, for the type of offense that actually um, provide that deterrent so athletes aren't going to, you know, intentionally cheat or take make risky behavior. I, I don't know what was the cause of his positive test. 
Yeah, you know, it hasn't been out there, it, it seems, which is a strange. It, 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 Maybe if you guys took over the, the testing for NFL, there'd be kind of more of a transparency. Like, have you explored that idea? I know the NBA, MLB, correct me if I'm wrong here, and the NHL all have their own in-house testing. Like, have USADA explored the idea of actually getting involved with this? Because it seems that the in-house testing is just a, a free pass, basically. You serve your ban, you don't actually know what they serve the ban for, and you come back and you can play for the rest of the season. And it turns out, become MVP in the biggest game of them all. Yeah, look, we, we've pushed, I mean, we've, I've testified half a dozen times along with both the players associations as well as the commissioners in those leagues in, in, on Capitol Hill here in the United States to say, Fox, guarding the hen house. You have to make it independent. You have to give um, transparency and openness, whether it's written decisions like in this situation or otherwise in order to, you know, gain the confidence, but also ensure that athletes know what their rights are and have a, a real opportunity to compete on a level playing field. That, that said, you know, we do work with some of them from time to time, have a partnership on research. And, and I'd put, you know, Major League Baseball's program against any program in the world. They're doing numerous tests, blood, urine, um, have an investigative unit, use the top labs. Um, they're, doing, they're doing a heck of a job with their program. They have, I think it's 80 game suspension, which is a significant part of the season. Um, for certain offenses and can go up from there depending on the nature of the violation. But again, make it independent, be transparent with the decisions, and these kind of questions go away. And to me, that is a pro-player position. And you would love to see, while the Major League Baseball Players Association has been really good on this issue, given their problems in the past, um, the the other player associations have been largely silent on this issue. And, And that's a real problem for the players, I think. Yeah, sure. Uh, Travis, you've been really good with your time. I really appreciate it. There's just one last thing I wanted to touch on uh, because it's really interesting. Uh, It's a story that we've been following for years here on the show and it is that leaked USADA report from almost three years ago at this point regarding Alberto Salazar. Just a a reminder for anybody at home who's, it's kind of gone out of their memory at at the time because it's kind of gone out of my memory until reading up on it today. So uh, the the leaked USADA report at the time says that uh, Alberto Salazar almost certainly broke anti-doping rules when he gave infusions of the amino acid L-carnitine to six of his US athletes at the like Oregon Project in Portland, Oregon, where Mo Farah trains. Uh, Salazar is even reported to have boasted to notorious drugs cheat Lance Armstrong about the incredible performance-boosting effects of the substance, saying in an email to the former racing cyclist, Lance, call me ASAP, we have tested it, and it is amazing. Uh, I don't think this report has ever been published, Travis. Why is that? Yeah, so I can't comment on a, a leaked report, um, which I'm sure you can understand. Sure. Our, our rules, our rules are such that you know we've confirmed uh, as we're allowed to that there has been an investigation and is an investigation, um, and you know if we're permitted at an appropriate time under our rules to say more, we will certainly do that. And I'm sure you'll be the first to call, <laughs> and, and we'll be happy to talk to you about it at that point. I'm sure you can't give us any details, but did this come up in conversation with Lance when you met him last April? Uh, I'm sorry. Did this come up in conversation with Lance Armstrong when you were chatting to him last April? I just can't c- comment on a on a leaked report or the substance of a leaked report. I'm I'm sure you can you can appreciate that. Sure, and I guess when this comes out, and I guess maybe on the NFL, um, and I guess if you are to pursue the USAD involvement with your own sports, do you think that uh, your vocal nature that you kind of use to, to to bash WADA and Russia, rightly so, in many instances, will probably be the same with sporting organisations within your own country as well? Um, I'm not sure I follow your question, but but no, well, I, I guess if you're asking, yeah, we we've been we've been very vocal 
when asked about promoting and policing. I mean, you can find, you know, our, our testimony up on Capitol Hill when I sat right next to the Players Association and the commissioner of, the fo of football and baseball. We, we you know, have, have strongly, um, you know, vocalized the need for all sport, pro in the U.S. included, to be truly independent um, and, and separate the fox from guarding the hen house. Is, was that your question? I'm not sure I followed your question. Yeah, like I, I guess I guess it's always a difficult thing. Like certainly when we uh, look at our own sporting achievements in Ireland, it's, it's very it's much easier for us to speak about athletes from abroad. I guess it's just our own patriotic nature and things like that. I guess do you do you find it difficult sometimes to be as vocally critical of organisations within your own country uh, as you do of say Russia and WADA? And that's not to diminish your, what you're saying about Russia and WADA whatsoever. Oh no, listen, I, I'm I mean we don't have jurisdiction over those sports. Our athletes don't play in those sports. Um, so there's obviously a big a big difference in our um, our mission, and we're hearing from our athletes that you know the the global system that covers the Olympics and covers them is, is falling, and we're getting requests for for information. But when it comes to the general policy, I mean, go back to o three o four during Balco days, and and you know my predecessor, but also myself, have testified and have been extremely vocal um, here in the United States when the policy decisions were being made that. All sport, including pro sport here in the U.S. But but no, look, our job is for clean athletes, right? Like, you know, during the Armstrong case, we got accused of being anti-American because we were holding a global icon accountable to the rules. So now, you know, with Russia, people are accusing us to be, of being pro you know, or anti-Russian or whatever. But no, that that the politics that affects everyone else has nothing to do with what we do on a daily basis basis we we apply first and foremost everything we do to what's best for clean athletes whether they're u.s athletes whether they're russian athletes are we're, we're going to try to speak truth to power in every sense of what's best for our north star which are clean athletes travis tigart ceo of usada you've been so generous with your time thank you so much yeah oh, and thanks so much good good to be here thanks so, if you like this, you'll probably also like OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45 a.m.